G'day everyone and welcome to another bloody movie podcast. I am Sean Coates. Thank you very much for listening in today or tonight I should say. It's actually we're recording this quite late at night, a lot later than we are definitely normally used to and I am joined by a good friend of mine and a fellow babbler, a fellow writer at Movie Babble, one of the few um, Australian writers over at Movie Babble, uh, Blake Ison. Thanks very much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Glad to be on. Yeah, glad to have you on to talk about the uh, the big monster mash that is in cinemas this weekend, or yes. from tomorrow, actually. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, but by the time you'll hear it, it'll be out. So yes, we're going to talk about Godzilla v. Kong, uh, which the great folks at Universal and Warner Brothers Pictures sent uh, both of us to a press screening for. Um, we're also going to talk about some of the films in the French Film Festival. Those are Final Set, Eiffel, Mandibles, Breathless, uh, the upcoming film The Father, which has been nominated for six Oscars. I believe, and we're also going to mention uh, about Endlessness, which came out a few weeks ago, but we want a spotlight because we think it's pretty brilliant. But Blake, um, tell us, this is your first time in the show, uh, tell yes. us a little bit about yourself. And we should also mention we are recording over Zoom because Blake is in Brisbane. That's right. Um, yeah, so like you say, I'm from Brisbane, in Brisbane, um, just a general movie fan like yourself and um like most other people who have been on the podcast in the past. Um, and yeah, just like to um, go to movies and watch movies as much as I can and, and love talking about them. And uh, yeah, like you mentioned, write for Movie Babble, um, which is pretty cool. So uh, that's where, yeah, most of my reviews go up there. So that's pretty much me in a nutshell, movies and working. Mm. And he's a big, and that's why we also were recording at night as well, because Blake um, actually has a full-time job. That's so right. uh, this is the only time we can get him. <laughs> and um, and yeah, but Blake is also an avid listener and probably one of the biggest fans of ABMP. So it was you know, almost inevitable that we had to get him on to actually be a guest. Yes. Yes, yes big but, fan. Big fan. Well, I'm, I'm very thankful and I'm flattered that you listen. And this will probably be your most listened to episode now, I can, I can guess. Or I don't know. Do you like? Are you, are you the kind of person that loves listening to your own voice? I definitely know that I am. Um, uh, to be honest, I will probably say no, but I kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yes, I probably will listen to it one or two times. And bear with me, listeners, as well. I've had a bit of a a cold or a sniffle. Uh, don't don't worry, I'm fine. It's just if my voice sounds a little bit hoarse, and if you hear me coughing and spluttering a little bit, or like you know, just. You know, not sounding how I normally do. Uh, that's just what that is. But uh, without wasting any time, let's get straight into Kong v Godzilla. So, uh, as as we said at the top of the show, uh, the great folks, the great, the great folks at Universal uh, invited both of us, both of us to the respective premieres of this film up in Melbourne and Brisbane. Uh, I saw it on Monday night. Blake saw it last night. Um, Blake, are you a big Godzilla or King, big King Kong fan? And what were your expectations going into this film? Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think I would say I'm a big, uh, mainly Godzilla fan. Um, I've definitely seen more Godzilla movies than I have King Kong movies over the years. Um, but I was, yeah, I was super keen going into this, um, this movie having really loved 2014's Godzilla, um, was a pretty big fan of Skull Island, King of the Monsters, only saw it once in cinemas, can't remember too much of it. Um, but yeah, pretty pretty big fan of the whole monster verse, and um, I was just excited to go and watch two monsters fight each other on the big screen. 
really yeah, exactly and being able to see that on the big screen we should also mention we're exactly. australian if in case you haven't figured out we're australian and we're one of the few countries at the moment I, I know it's sort of slowly expanding and things are starting to reopen in countries all around the world but cinemas in australia have been reopened for quite some time now because we've been very fortunate with our um uh with our very low covid numbers and yeah, yeah and both of our press screenings i don't know about you but for me Mine was very full and a really great atmosphere yeah. as well. And it was a good mix of both uh, critics as well, but it was also there was an IGN competition where fans could go to the premiere as well. Yeah, mine, uh, my screening was the same. It was, it was pretty packed. Um, and yeah, it, similar. It was, a, it was a good mix of um, just press and, and fans. But yeah, good atmosphere as well. It was, it was good fun, good time. Yeah. Now you said you're more of a Godzilla fan, but you did say you do. You told me before the screening that you were very, very firmly on Team Kong. That's correct. Um, I was, I was very much a uh, Team Kong advocate over on Twitter um, since the first trailer came out for this movie. Um, but I think that was more so just because he's a monkey, and it was kind of fun just to say monkey once a day on Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mon monkey spelled M-O-N-K-E, e. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Skip the Y. Uh, but yeah, um, that's pretty much the only reason why I was Team Kong. Yeah. Well, I, I chose Team Godzilla mainly because I took my housemate Fraser, shout out if you're listening to the press screening, and um, he was firmly Team Kong, so I was like, oh, I'll make things interesting. I'll be Team Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. And my, my, I actually haven't seen too many of the Godzilla or King Kong films. Um, I haven't seen, like, with King Kong, I haven't seen the 30s one. I haven't seen the 70s one with, I believe, Jeff Bridges. I still have not seen the Peter yeah. Jackson version from 05. Oh, okay. I, I saw Kong Skull Island in cinemas, but can barely remember anything about that. Uh, same goes with, uh, I didn't see Godzilla 2014 in cinemas, and but I did see King of the Monsters in cinemas. Haven't seen it since, and I remember almost nothing from it. And it turns out that might have actually been helpful if I rewatched it before seeing this film. Uh, yeah, um, I tr I tried to rewatch them all before before going into it, um, but I only got through Godzilla and Skull Island, and then got far too busy and and forgot about King of the Monsters, and kind of realised a bit too late. But that's all right. <laughs> Still had a yeah. good time. But again, like with this film, we can start getting into the film now because we probably should have done that five minutes ago when we said, let's talk about this film. But like there's certain things that they like that I can't remember if that was introduced within King of the Monsters that was here, that, that was also talked about here, because I wasn't sure whether they were just like completely ramped up into sort of ridiculous like almost science fiction sort of yeah. territory with where they go in this film or if it was you know they introduced it in the last film from memory i think they started to introduce some of those ideas in um in king of the monsters but yeah i'm, I'm in the same boat i'm not too sure if that kind of just came out of nowhere or but um it was a it was a welcome addition i thought but I, I still think this is like a, a pretty decent standalone two big yeah. monsters fighting, beating the living crap out of each other. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it does pretty well and, and standing on its own. Obviously it uh, benefits from seeing those previous movies, but I don't mm. think it's really necessary. 
No, because the, the only characters, of apart from Godzilla and Kong, obviously, the only real holdouts or the, the returning characters from any of the previous films would be Millie Bobby Brown, who was in King of the Monsters. And then also, is it Kyle, Kyle Chandler? Uh, yeah, Kyle who, who Chandler. Plays the, who plays the father, but he's the only father, in a, yeah. he has a very, very small role in this film, mm. though. Yeah, uh, they were... Yeah, I think they were the only two recurring characters from any of the previous movies, so most of the cast are... Uh, newcomers newcomers and there is a lot of them <laughs> like a lot of the a big criticism that these films sort of have is that there's too much of a focus on the human characters many of yeah. whom the characters you don't know or cannot remember any of their names and they're, they're like it's kind of like that 70s disaster movie thing where they just have these really incredible big name actors in these supporting roles like mm. You know, like, Juliette Binoche is in, like, five minutes in the first scene before her yeah. character gets killed. Um, that's not a spoiler, because it's literally the first scene. Yeah. And, and like, again, like, this film, and, and it's the idea of, like, you have all of these big-name actors and you're trying to all give them, like, equal amount of screen time in, like, very strange roles. So, like, here you've got, like, Alexander Skarsgård, who I guess is probably the lead... I guess, I think yeah, his name yes. is first on the poster. Like, Alexander Skarsgård is, like, some sort of... Uh, physicist that like is uh, uh, like the foremost researcher into a uh, hollow earth um theory which uh, is a very important aspect of this film which yep. yeah um you've also got rebecca hall who's um plays like this uh like this philanthropist or this scientist that's like uh no it's not philanthropist what am i talking about um What's the word for it? Anthropologist. Sorry, yeah. that's the two weird things to mix up. And she's basically like that. She has a, a magazine article in in the film at one point where she's called the Kong Whisperer, yeah. and she has this. She has this like adopted little deaf girl that was like one of the like who's a native to uh, to Skull Island, Skull Island who yeah. can actually communicate with Kong. Um, then you've also got Brian Tyree Henry, who's like an engineer at. Um, this like uh like this tech company who thinks there's some sort of shady dealings going on there and he's also like a like a kaiju truther conspiratorial Conspiracy, podcaster yeah. and that's how um that's how Millie Bolly Brown's character returns to the picture as well because she's like an avid listener of this podcast and you know she's had first-hand experience with Godzilla before and she thinks there's she's like buying into this conspiracy and she jumps in a van with Julian Dennison from Hunt for the Wilder People to go find this guy and like uncover this truth Yep. And I think there's another character that I'm blanking on, but it's another thing of, like, all these sorts of things happening, like, are, are surrounding this monster fight. Yeah, there's heaps. Um, the the other character, or the other actress that stood out um, in terms of, like, big names was, um, and forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, but um, Isa Gonzalez. Oh, yes, she was yes. She as well, um, uh, as, like, a... Uh, employee for this tech company as well that that rocks up in the um, in the Kong sort of side of things with mm. with Skarsgård and and Hall, um, but yeah, lots lots of people. <laughs> it's strange for a a film like this where you'd imagine it's just oh it's just two monkey it's a giant monkey and a giant <laughs> lizard fighting each other for two hours, and then you but then after you see this film and uh, you ask someone to explain the plot to them. It's gonna be really tough because yeah. one, there's too much going on, and two, it's pretty needlessly complicated. But I guess Adam Wingard, who's the director of this film, uh, knows that that's not really all that important. Yeah. And just like, but re and then really, like, really goes into the silliness of, I guess, 
the concept of a giant lizard and a giant monkey fighting each other. And when that actually, when those two actually do throw down, oh my gosh, is it glorious? Oh, it's great. Um, so much, so much, just stuff happening on the screen. But it was so good. Um, and I think I think that's uh, one thing, like you say, Wingard really got with this movie was just like embracing the um, sort of pulpiness of it all and um, n- not so much sidelining the human stories but kind of working through that relatively quickly to sort of blend into the stuff that people really are there for. Yeah which is a monkey and a lizard fighting. Yeah, I think it is, although we're like kind of complaining about it here, I do think it is pretty well integrated and oh, it yeah. all comes together quite nicely too, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I think it does do a uh, pretty good job in terms of setting up uh, like actual connections between, mainly on Hong Kong's side of, side of things, um, mainly with the the little uh, little girl, um, the little deaf girl. Uh, I can't remember her, the character's name. No, uh, um, I don't. Uh, is she, uh, I think she was given a name, but I can't remember it. Yeah, either, unfortunately, it, it came up once. Um, I know she's played by um, Kaylee Hottle. I think her name is the the little girl. Because uh, I saw a little, uh, like one of the featurettes she was featured in, um, and she's actually deaf as well in real life. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I thought was um, kind of cool. To, to cast a, a um, young deaf girl in that role. Yeah, well, we're but, seeing that a lot more, I guess. Uh, in, in Not in terms of also deaf representation, but, you know, them being played by actual deaf people as well. Like, you know, all of the, like, supporting, not the supporting cast, but, like, the uh, cast at the deaf community in, like, Sound of Metal, they were yeah. all, like, deaf people. And you also go back to A Quiet Place. Um, is yep. it Mil- Millicent Thomas, I believe, is the name of the actress who e- plays the deaf girl in that? And she's, you know, she's deaf in real life, and she's quite good in that film as yeah. well. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that, that the film did pretty good in, um, giving us a reason to follow these, these human characters, um, as sort of, even though it's something that, that people aren't necessarily there for, <laughs> it is kind of necessary, uh, for the movie. And yeah, I thought, um, I thought Wingard did pretty good in tying those together and just accepting the fact that. They're both pretty ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, Millicent, Millicent Simmons, apologies, is the name know. of that actress from A Quiet Place. And yeah, but I guess it's also because um, Adam Wingard mainly comes from a horror, um, like, yeah. background. Like, he knows, like, not specifically, like, what suits for a specific genre. Not necessarily horror, although mm. I think whenever Godzilla shows up on screen, because, like, if, you, if you've seen the trailer, like, they kind of frame Kong as the hero of this film and that Godzilla yeah. is, like the menacing that you know this the the villain that's coming to destroy everything and like kong is the protector basically that's how the film frames it yeah Mm. yeah um and they do a good job with that as well um Mm. obviously myself being team kong going into the film um i did kind of get somewhat actually attached to to kong as a character uh by the end of things which was yeah pretty pretty cool and I think also, like, I don't know if it's a, if it's Wingard's thing, but uh, the score of this film, I think, is very hit or miss. So this is uh, Tom Holkenberg doing the score for this, uh, formerly yeah. Junkie XL. Um, 
it's odd because I think the whenever like uh, again with the whole like sort of horror movie aspect of it, whenever Godzilla like kind of shows up on screen in like a big menacing way, and like the old score from the '54 movie is kind of integrated into it, like that's yeah. all fantastic. And then like all of the time when it's being like this big sort of emotional like sort of or not emotional but this sort of like epic sounding score when they're just you know beating the crap out of each other that's yeah. pretty cool but whenever it's like with the human characters it's kind of like this weird sort of synthy electronic sound yeah it's really strange it was, it was um it, it kind of gave me and and a few of the needle drops in the film sort of gave me that like a, like almost an 80s 80s vibe like there there's that scene um when uh julian dennison and um millie bobby brown first get in the van and they they head off on their sort of adventure for the film and and we get some 80s song blasting over footage of the van going down the highway and <laughs> it was an interesting mix um but i i thought some of it some of it worked um obviously especially with the with the big battles and all that stuff it was very epic. Mm. Is there anything else we have to say about this? Um, I'm, 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 I'm struggling. Sure. I'm struggling to think of what else to say other than. I know it's kind of hard to talk. Yeah, we're we're trying to details. avoid spoilers as much as we can. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would also say uh, avoid the toy aisles at your local department store yes. until you see this film. Uh, I will not give any reasons why. Um, if you know, you know. And if you know you've had the film spoiled for you, so I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I guess one thing I, I would add, um, and you, you briefly mentioned it um, when discussing Skarsgård's character, is that they do sort of further explore that um, that Hollow Earth theory that's sort of established and, and set up in um, Skull Cults. Kong Skull Island. Okay, so it was Skull Island where it was set up because I thought it yeah, might have been King well, of the Monsters. Well, was, okay, yeah. Yeah, that was when it first um, got in, introduced into the um, MonsterVerse from from my memory. Mm. I don't remember it being in the um, in that first Godzilla film, but I know that that was sort of the whole driving um, driving force behind yeah. them going to Skull Island in the first place. Yeah, because yeah, well, I guess that kind of leads us into maybe talking about like the very little plot about this. The the, the plot about this film is mm. that like uh, I guess they there's two, the two groups of people that sort of come together. Like Skarsgård's more from like the corporate scientific area, and then like um, uh, Rebecca Hall's kind of like the humanitarian anthropology 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 side of it. Yeah, anthropological. That's the word I was looking for. And the idea is that they try to take Kong and try to find, like, a portal to this hollow earth mm. and, like, for Kong to return home, basically, and because they know Godzilla is coming and... Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It, it gets really, I guess, I guess really the whole, confused. The whole thing is Godzilla sort of set up in in, um, in King of the Monsters, set up as King of the Monsters and the, mm. and the sort of apex titan of them all. And... Um, yeah, they're kind of trying to to transport Kong to to safety, I guess. So yeah. Godzilla doesn't go on a rampage. Yeah, and er everyone in the film is like, "Wait, Godzilla's our friend. He's our hero. Why the hell is he, you know, attacking? Yeah, all this sort of stuff." Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of like that's another thing of like Millie Bobby Brown's thing because you know she's had firsthand experience with Godzilla. She's like, "No, there's something more to this. There's something going on." Yeah. Yeah. She, um, she knows that. Uh... Godzilla's a good guy. Yeah, and well, we we will not say anything more about that then, other than yeah. that it is a just a good, fun, 
good old monster mash that just really oh, leans really leans into the pulpy sort of you know b movie yeah. side of things especially with the sort of sci-fi elements the movie gets mm -hmm. into when they reach the hollow earth in what i think is a pretty pretty awesome sequence yeah i agree um yeah it was just good to sit down and shove popcorn into my mouth while i watch these two monsters fight each other <laughs> Yeah, and you can all see that. I know at the time of recording there were um, special like advanced screenings on the Wednesday night before it, yeah. but uh, the film is in cinemas around Australia today, and I believe international viewers, specifically the US, I believe it drops uh, both in theatres and on HBO Max on March 31st, so definitely check it out. Um, I'm not quite sure where this ranks in terms of the Warner Brothers legendary MonsterVerse films for me, but I think it's probably up there. I would have to rewatch all of them, but yeah, I think... Um... Yeah. I've got recency bias with this one. Yeah, okay. Uh, I think I would put it second on my list. I, th I, I still think that that first Godzilla movie, um, that, that still takes the cake for me. Uh, but yeah, this definitely comes in as a close second. Awesome. Sure. Okay, uh, we're back from a short pause uh, there, everyone. But we're back. And uh, we were going to talk about the French Film Festival, but then Blake and I realised in our time, in our brief pause, that we realised we have both seen a little film called Chaos Meandering. I mean, um, Chaos Walking. Something like uh, that. Yes, yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, Blake, I'm going to start. I'm going to let you start off with this because uh, you are probably one of the few people I know, that, and probably in the world, probably that actually world. liked this nonsense. So defend um, yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. Uh, I went in, obviously, with everything that happened with that film in production and being shelved and what was it, finished in 2017 or something. They did reshoots and all that, and, and it was just so dragged out. And the trailers came out, and I watched the trailers and over I and over again. And I laughed in the I cinemas. I laughed as well, and I was like, this is going to be the worst thing ever. I was not going to go see it. And then there was like a nine o'clock session one night and I was like, you know what, I'm bored. I'm just going to go watch it because why not? And I honestly had a good time <laughs> watching it. Um, now, I don't necessarily have much to say about it, like positively in terms of it as a movie. But I just, I don't know. It's just one of those movies where I, I had a fun time just sitting there for, what, two hours or however long it goes for, shoveling popcorn in my mouth and eating a chock top and just watching whatever nonsense was happening on screen at the time <laughs> and hearing Tom Holland's voice in Dolby Atmos just repeat the same four words over yeah, and over from again. from different directions as <laughs> <Yeah>. well. <laughs> it's just, it's, you're being bombarded with his nonsense thoughts in his horrible American accent. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, for some reason, <laughs> had a good time with it, I guess. Is is this the year Tom Holland's career dies? Because, I mean, he hasn't had a great month. It was, it was no, Chaos Walking followed by Cherry, which I have not yet seen Cherry. But Neither like, I. I, and I, I've still got an Apple TV Plus subscription because I kind of forgot to cancel it, and I'm still paying for it at the moment. Yeah, I'm probably the only person in the world paying for Apple TV Plus, and I'm not even watching it. But yeah, I've just all the buzz about that film is just it's one of the worst things ever made. <laughs> yeah, I um, I I yeah, I haven't watched Cherry yet either. Um, but 
yeah, I don't, I don't know what future Tom Holland's career has really past Spider-Man and all that. Because mm. isn't his spider like isn't there something happening with the spider-man contract i i like, don't even know three three solo film thing i remember reading something like that somewhere but i can't keep up with all yeah that. i'm not i'm not sure but look I, I don't have anything against tom holland personally it's just no. i don't think he's not good in this movie um no, i don't know if I that's completely really... his fault but like i i just don't think he's leading man material I know he's still young, but he's definitely not leading man material yet. Yeah. Um, uh, no, yeah, not in a, not in this film. I don't think, I, I can't think of any real, uh, real um, good performances in this movie. I mean, Mads Mikkelsen's good just because Mads, Mads, Mads Mikkelsen. Mads can do this and role he, in his sleep. He, yeah. He's riding a horse in he's an awesome just, fur coat. Yeah. That's all he has to do. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, and I mean, Daisy Ridley's fine. She doesn't yeah. really have all that much to do. She I... doesn't speak for the, like the first mm. however long. Um, but yeah, it's a, not a very good movie, but I liked it. Well, I, I realized I haven't really said much about this. And, uh, what I will say is that this is so far the best comedy of 2021. I know it's meant to be like this big sci-fi <laughs> like action adventure, but it's such it's at such a dirge pace. And also, if you're making a big, exciting action adventure movie, don't put something as leisurely as walking in <laughs> your um <laughs> in your title. It just kind of reflects the pacing and the excitement that you're gonna bring to your film. Yeah. Um but, not much happens in it. No, not really. <laughs> really? Um it's just yeah, um what I was going to say, is it even worth going on about? But, like, I guess the other joke I would also say about this film is that uh, this is a film about uh, a group of uh, men on this new planet. Or is it Earth, or is it a completely new world? I no, can't remember it's, a, it's, a new, it. it's a new world. It's a new um, world, yeah. So, yeah. basically, in this Earth's atmosphere, I think it's from some mumbo-jumbo to do with the Y chromosome or some crap. Um, <laughs> men's thoughts are, are visible. They're literally visible and can be heard by everyone else. Yeah. And my thought about this film was like, how do you make a film like this that isn't rated X? I'm sorry, that's just not realistic. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's Very also but it's it's Tom Holland. I mean, just to get, I'm sorry, I'm gonna rag on Tom Holland here, but it's just like it's the levels of badness with his acting. It's not only just you know him being like. It, like being looking like he's lost the entire time, but it's also yeah. the ADR he has to do oh, for God. like his thoughts, which is just so it's mind numbing. It really is, um, and it it all sounds phoned in. Yeah, like it, it may it have really may sounds. literally have been. They may have literally well, yeah. phoned it in during COVID. Like Doug Lyman yeah. picked up the phone and said, uh, "Just read this, Tom." Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it uh, it, mm. it's just a weird movie. Yeah, it, even with all the like, you know, all of the production troubles and like, you know, this being shot all the way back in twenty seventeen and only just coming out now, even then, it still feels like this film is like five years too late. Like it, it's like it just missed yeah, the boat on like the YA of, craze. Yeah, definitely. Um, it should have come out. Yeah, when Maze Runner and all those movies are coming out 
or were coming out, I should say. Yeah, it's just kind of been dumped because there's literally yeah. nothing else in the cinemas. And, like, I mean, it's doing okay. It's, it's been number two in Australia, but, like, there's mm. really nothing else out. And it's, like, become, yeah. and, it's, and it's coming second to Raya and the Last Dragon, so... I, um, I, I should comment that I do think... I am the only one who likes this movie <laughs> because I know it's... I know multiple people who have gone to see it on the basis that I said I had a fun time with it, and, <laughs> and they, they were like, back "What is wrong with the you?" Next day and were like, what are you? How did you like this? Oh, that's brilliant! And the only answer I have is I have no idea. I have no taste. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, maybe, maybe that's the case. No, no, I, I, I enjoyed this in a sense, but it's terrible. Like this movie, not, not terrible. That's, it's just this movie is bad, but in ways that are very entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think I, yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it for not only those reasons. I don't have a reason. I just hmm. walked out and went, huh, I didn't hate it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad it was a nice surprise for you. It was just, it was a riotously good laugh for me. But, like, uh, I would give it a very soft recommend, but, like, watch it in parties of a couple more. Like, I think yes. we, do, we do group watches every now and then. I think this would it's be an amazing group, group watch. Uh, yeah, it is a very good group watch movie. <laughs> Um, definitely. Yeah, so, so uh, we, we've warned you or told you whether or not you want to see it. Uh, see it at your own peril, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that's chaos walking. <laughs> yep. The French Film Festival is going on at Palace Cinemas uh, all across the country at the moment. Um, in Melbourne, it's actually just wrapping up, but I believe up where you are in Brisbane, it's only just sort of starting right about now. Yeah, it's, um, I think it started mid to late last week over here um so yeah it's kind of kicking off at the moment um and lots lots to see there is a lot to see they've got a really good program and a lot of these mm. are their french films but because of the covid situation a lot of these french films are actually having their world premieres in australia yeah and like that's a huge get for not only like Alliance Francaise and like this festival but also you know just australia in general like yeah. the way getting the and a lot of them are you know high profile-ish films i yeah, guess yeah definitely definitely and uh i'll talk I'll, I'll talk about one i'll be really quick with this one first uh this was the film that they showed at the big media launch that it's been over a month since i've seen this so i'm a little <laughs> bit hazy on details uh, this film's called the godmother uh it stars isabelle Huppert. she is a, a police interpreter um she you know helps with like translations in like arabic translations for the police and whatnot uh she kind of feels a little bit like you know like it feels like she, her career is not getting anywhere, so she kind of, uh, she inter like through one of her communications, she intercepts uh, a big drug, like a big shipment of drugs, and like she kind of intercepts that or, or like finds the location and starts like hoarding them, and then basically builds this new persona of this godmother that's basically selling <laughs> off drugs to you know yeah. other people, like becoming like this bit like this drunk this this French drug lord, and um. Then the like her own police unit start investigating her, and she has to investigate herself basically. Or no, I'm not exactly sure of the yeah. details because it's a bit a bit hazy. Uh, this film, it's it's okay. Um, it, I mean Isabel Huppert, you know, like she's amazing as always. Like she's an yeah. icon at this point, and really makes this film, which just given that premise, really should have leaned a bit more into camp. 
that yeah. like doesn't really it does it not that it takes itself all that seriously it's just the serious moments have like this sort of heft that doesn't really quite pull off but like who pair just really makes this film worth watching and yeah not really much more to say about that um uh, yeah if, if this interests you uh go see it i will also say though that um uh, I, I have a bit of a problem with the the godmother when uh the when in most other territories this film is called mama weed which is basically like her name which is basically like her drug kingpin name is yeah. mama weed i'm like That's you had the perfect enough. title right there why did you use the godmother yeah. I, and I don't even know if it's the literal French translation or if it's just the Australian title, but yeah, Mama Wee, definitely a much better title. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, well, what have you seen? Now, you've seen a couple of films. Uh, tell me yeah. about Eiffel, because that was the big opening night film. Yeah, that was the um, the big opening night film here. I'm not sure if that was the case for, for Melbourne. I I'm actually missed the opening night, but because it was sort of so successful and and sold out pretty much instantly up here in brisbane they put on a second sort of screening and and sort of second opening night um for for this film which was which was cool so uh yeah i went to that and um eiffel it's pretty self-explanatory in the title it uh just sort of tells the story of um eiffel himself uh, and his uh, design and, and building of the Eiffel Tower uh, for the Paris World Fair in the 18... I think it was like 1889 from memory. Um, it stars Emmy Mackey, Emma Mackey, I believe that's how you say her last name, from Sex Education. Oh, okay. Um, she, yeah, she plays one of the one of the main characters in that show, and I didn't actually realize, but she speaks fluent French. Oh, and okay. Yeah, she's. Well, in... I was just about to ask: Is this film in like a in both English and French, no, or is it? Yeah, all... it's it's wow. in, it's entirely French. Um, and yeah, she kind of plays a a bit of a past love interest that that come back comes back into Eiffel's life, and yeah, it kind of just follows that story along with the um the building of the tower. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. Um, it's pretty standard, sort of one of these biopic romance sort of stories. Um, no real surprises or anything like that. Um, but, I mean, the the acting was, was pretty good all around. Um, Emma Mackey surprised me quite a bit um, in this movie. And the, um, the visuals are, are really quite nice as well a lot of it i don't know if they shot it in natural light but it definitely has that feel um a lot oh, of okay, sort cool. of low light and yeah it was a it was a pleasant surprise because i wasn't expecting too much going into it and i hadn't seen any real trailers or anything but um yeah it was, it was quite good and i would say worth worth checking out I was a little bit skeptical, like, like what you were saying there, like, it did look like a fairly formulaic, run-of-the-mill sort of biopic, where it was, you know, yeah. the, the struggle to, like, especially with, like, I mean, it's more like architecture and, like, you know, design and all that thing, and, like, this great sort of achievement, like, everything in their life building up to this one massive yeah. achievement, and, you know, but, like, there's still value in that, and I'd be interested to see this somewhere down, sometime down the line. Yeah, and I think it's good in that um, it doesn't... Fo I mean, as much as I would have liked it to focus on that element maybe a little bit more, it sort of the, the romance side of things is definitely the, the central 
sort of focus for the for the film. Um, but it, yeah, it has a has some good little moments in there, and yeah, it's it's uh, I enjoyed it. Okay, cool. And do you know if it's getting a release outside of the French Film Fest? I'm not too sure. I um I was I was trying to have a look, but I I couldn't see anything immediately. Um, so yeah, un- unfortunately, I'm I'm not a hundred percent certain on that. But uh, yeah, if it, if it does come out near near anyone, definitely worth um worth having a look. Mm. Uh, well, you just mentioned Emma Mackey there, who is you know not a oh she might be I think she might be Canadian or maybe you know knows fluent French that way. But like, there's another um uh, you can I'll double check that in just a moment. But like uh, another film that I saw, which also has an actress who is uh not natively French but uh, does speak fluent French, uh, is Final Set, which um has uh, Kristen Scott Thomas playing the role of the mother of a professional tennis player. Uh, in this film, Alex Lutz plays uh, Thomas Edison. Uh, yes, that is the real name of this guy. Um, he was once like the, uh, France's next great tennis hope. Like, you know, he was, you know, a junior, absolute junior star, like was playing, made it to a French Open semi-final when he was 19, but then lost that match and then just kind of burnt out a little bit and just sort of never got the career that he should have. Like, he had, and it was just sort of just kind of in the lower end of the ranks. Like, a decent enough professional career, but whilst never being, like, super, super successful and, like, achieving the level that he probably should have. So, now it's in present day. He's 37 years old. Uh, He's got a wife and a young child. And uh, he's got, like, a persistent and lingering knee injury. Uh, He's really struggling to get invitations to the big tournaments. And um, now he's basically just coaching children to get by. But, like, he's got one big last hope. He's got the French Open. It's coming along. He normally gets the wild card entry into that. And he misses the wild card entry. So he tries to use the qualifying rounds to get into the French Open and not only prove that, you know, at still at 37, he's still got a bit to give as a player, but also, you know, prove his worth as a person. Because, like, he, he's tennis has basically been his entire life. He doesn't really know anything else. Like, there's a scene where, like, He's putting in a questionnaire. I think it's to apply for the wild card or to apply for qualifying for the French Open. It's like, yep. what would you do if you didn't play tennis? Or like, what are your skills outside of tennis? And he puts down nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting watching this with the Australian Open also still in mind, because yeah. also like the film also does kind of get into a little bit of like, and this is where in the scene with Kristen Scott Thomas, like where she kind of feels partly responsible for his, his failures and shortcomings as a player. Like, she feels guilty for, like, you know, sending him off to an, a tennis academy when he was, like, way too young, where he was overworked and, like, was sort of brainwashed into thinking that he was unstoppable and this superstar. And then, yeah. like, you know, it kind of has some commentary about, like, the individualism and, like, sort of, like, big-headedness that, like, professional tennis players can often have. And tennis, like, I think is probably second to boxing in probably the, the sport that has, like, the biggest egos of its yeah. athletes. But at least with boxing, it's kind of part of the theatricality of that. Like, when you see it in tennis, you're just like, oh, well, you're just a prick. Yeah. And, like, it also got me thinking of the tool, like, if Thomas Edison uh, had to do hotel quarantine, like, like Thomas Edison <laughs> definitely would have been pissed off about hotel yeah. quarantine <laughs> if he had to play in the Australian right. Open. But, like, this is a really interesting sort of sports film with, like, both... It kind of has enthralling drama both on the court and off the court. Like, tennis... You don't see too many tennis films because it is a really difficult sport to to make capture. to film and to mm. capture yeah so it, the, the film does it in a couple of interesting ways um one is just like with a handheld camera like sort of like in like a i guess you'd call it second person or the second person perspective where it's kind of over the shoulder 
and like sort of tracking him as he like hits the hits the ball. There's another right. one. There's another sort of way which it's shot, which is kind of awkward, where it's sort of like a front-on shot, and then like th- they hit the ball, and then the camera shakes sort of violently, yeah. which doesn't look as good, and it's a bit sort of off-putting. Um, some of the editing in the tennis sequences isn't all that convincing as well, or like kind of takes a little bit away from it. Like there's a scene. In his first qualifying match, when he has to go through the qualifying, uh, he's down a set and a couple of breaks, and he gets a point and starts his comeback. But then you go from that point, and they immediately cut to him serving for the match. I'm like, well, no. Where's the yeah, montage right. of him? Where's the montage of him gaining momentum, confidence, and you know, yeah. bel- and belief that he can actually win this and like go out? Because he was, he was, he was like dead, out, you know, out of the. He was gone out of the yeah. game, and then he's coming back, but like just cutting straight from there to there. You know, it, it, it took away a little bit from that. But um, it's mainly in the tennis, um, the scene that's like, the tennis segment that's like the really, the biggest like set, set piece of this film is the final match, the titular final set, which yeah. is actually, in the grand scheme of the French Open, is actually quite small scale. Like, it's just a first round match. It's not even being played on center court. But oh, I think really? this film, yeah, this film, like, like in terms of the actual sort of states of the tournament, it's really low. Yeah, but right. like in terms of the personal states for Alex, or, mm-hmm. yeah, for Alex. Sorry, that's the actor. For Thomas, it's like it couldn't couldn't be bigger. Yeah. And like the way that that like it's the, the whole match is kind of like the the last twenty five to thirty minutes of the film, and mo- for the most part, it's shot more like a traditional tennis broadcast, like with all the different camera angles and replays and like complete with commentary, and it perfectly captures that sort of like effortlessly captures, sorry, that sort of that that style of like shooting or yeah yeah and it's pretty damn enthralling as well and yeah i really really enjoyed this film um good good sports movie with a lot of good drama um i I definitely recommend this film if you can see it um i believe studio canal i believe is the international distributor but i don't know if studio canal it has any plans to distribute this outside the festival so definitely keep an eye out on it uh final set is the name of this film good sport if you love your sport if you love your sport, you'll get a kick out of this. If you don't, you'll get swept up in all the other drama that's going on. Yeah, um, I'm seeing it on Friday night, so I'm uh, nice. I'm pretty yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. Um, and just while you were sort of talking about that, I had a quick Google of Emma Mackey, um, and she was actually born in France. Oh, okay. Yeah, and moved to England to study English. Oh, she's language. English. Okay. So there you go. I did not know that. Oh, well, there you go. Um, what else have we seen? Uh, you got to see... Uh, now, a film I haven't seen... Uh, shamefully, of the, the film student... The film the film expert that I am. Um, Jean-Luc Godard is kind of a uh, an embarrassing blind spot for me. And um, But you got to see what was, I believe, the 4K re- um, yeah. re- restoration 4K for the restoration. 60th anniversary of his um, masterpiece, according to some circles, um, About de Souf otherwise known as Breathless. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. I understand you are not the biggest fan. No. I. Um, which <laughs> which su- surprised me because obviously um, film students kind of love this film from my experience. Uh, and everything I've read online was saying that it was, you know, the one of the best movies ever and ushered in the... Um, 
you know, parts of modern filmmaking and, and stuff mm. like that. Yeah, a landmark and, um, film for the French New Wave or that sort of jazz. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, if you've been in a film class, I mean, you may have seen this whole film. I somehow went through film school without having <laughs> not seen the full thing. But, like, I've definitely seen clips of this for, you know, my film classes and whatnot. Yeah, and um, I hadn't seen a Jean-Luc Godard film before. Um, and I thought, you know, would good opportunity go to the cinemas hmm. you're watch seeing it. you're seeing the god of art he's literally god art he's the yeah. god of art <laughs> yeah um and yeah i don't know it just didn't work for me um i guess for those who don't know breathless um it's a very simple story um essentially just about a young uh sort of small time thief who um ends up being sort of tracked down by by the police and tries to uh flee the country with with the girl he loves um but and and, and i mean that's pretty much the whole the whole movie is just him trying to to convince um this this girl to to run away with him but yeah i don't know i mean technically it's a brilliant movie like it, it looks stunning um the the editing really stood mm. out to me in terms of a film from 1960 uh it has very quite modern editing techniques and mm. and sort of um has a has a pretty quick cut sort of spe- speed to it mm. um from what and... i understand apologies to interrupt but like the the, the sort of things that those sort of clips which i believe you're talking about are the ones that are almost always like almost exclusively what i was shown the yeah. film classes and things like that like it didn't necessarily um like invent jump cuts but it definitely no. sort of like you know popularized them yeah um or like, and, it, you know, and it used them quite a lot throughout uh throughout the film but um yeah, I think my my main issue with the film was just the dialogue. Like, it felt... And, and after I said this online, um, everyone came to me saying that's pretty much Goddard in a nutshell. <laughs> but um, I said it felt very... It just feels very self-indulgent. Um, and, and some of the sort of discussions the characters have and, and the... The things they say just yeah i don't know it didn't sit right with me <laughs> and i mean i i wouldn't say it's it's bad at all it's definitely um a good movie and i can see why it sort of gets shown in in film school but yeah just um i think substance wise it it yeah it didn't really land for me unfortunately mm. Yeah, it, it seems like it's a case, like it even might be for me whenever I finally get around to it. And now like with this cinematic release, it's also, I think also just dropped on Blu-ray, this restoration as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. through Studio Canal, which I mean, yeah. the, the Studio Canal's restorations are kind of hit and miss, I find. Yeah. Like their one for Don't Look Now was kind of surprisingly bad, but their, yeah. Fla- their Flash Gordon one's really good. I, um, I haven't seen the Flash Gordon one, but I've got the Don't Look Now um, Blu-ray and that's the only version of the film I've seen, so I didn't think it was that bad. But I've heard people say it's um it's not too great. Yeah, but um, like I'm I'm kind of the same with because I recently saw all most of the Wong Kar Wai uh, uh, yeah. restorations at Acme when they were playing here, 
Um, I, I unfortunately haven't seen too many of the them in their original form, but apparently these restorations suck a lot of the life and sort of vibrancy out of the original films. Fallen yeah. Angel specifically, I think, is one that a lot of people are mad about. Yeah, I've seen a lot of chatter about that online. Um, but I mean, I, I thought the the I thought the restoration for for Breathless was was quite good, um, especially seeing it in a, it in a cinema. Uh, it was, it was a good um, experience, mm. nonetheless. Was there, but was there any sort of tonal whiplash? Because I think you you literally I, like, yeah, you ran from a I cinema. Literally, yeah. Got in my car after seeing Godzilla vs Kong. I <laughs> quickly zipped down the road back home and dropped my roommate off, and then zipped oh, he didn't to the want to see cinema. it. No, he didn't. <laughs> um, despite being a film student, but, oh, uh, yeah, revoke his card. Yeah. Um, but yes, then I zipped to the other cinema, <laughs> caught like the last two ads before Breathless started, and then watched that. Just um, made it. Yeah. But uh, no, I, did, I didn't, didn't really get any sort of tonal whiplash from it. Oh, well, they're exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. I was going to say, yeah. Kong is pretty much Breathless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah. It, uh, yeah, it just didn't just didn't work for me, unfortunately. Oh well, but well, now I'm going to give you a very strange. Well, in terms talking of tonal whiplash, let's go from uh, Jean Luc Godard to uh, <laughs> Quentin Dupieux, who I mean, both make very strange films in their own way. But I think um, Quentin Dupieux is definitely uh, my more my kind of weird with what I like. Um, uh, some people may know Quentin Dupieux as the, uh, a filmmaker, but they also know might know him as a musician. I believe his stage name is Mr. Ozu. Um, I actually haven't heard too much of his music, but I'm interested. If it's as weird as his film output is, I'd definitely be interested. So uh, this is a new film, Mandibles. Um, this is really, really weird. Um, a lot of people, mostly our good friend Harris Dang, have um, described this as Dumb and Dumber with a giant fly. Um, yep. So basically, yeah, the basic plot of this film is that these two sort of like, you know, bumbling idiot, like sort of crooks, basically. Um, one of them is goes to do it like he's he's asked to go deliver something like do a job for someone that's a little bit shady so he steals a car goes to go get his friend is like dude i'm gonna do this job you want to come with me there's like a big cash prize but then they also realize that there's a weird noise coming from the trunk of the, of the boot of their car they go over and open it and there is a gigantic fly in the back of the car and they, they have this idea well screw this job we're doing why don't we train this fly to, and then it can do whatever the hell we want for it, and then we can make an absolute fortune. We can live like kings when we train this fly. So the movie is basically just 80 minutes of hijinks with these people, you know, these two guys trying to train this giant fly. Um, th there is a big, a large section of the film where they, um, where they come past like this, um, this these people that are going to their holiday house. Um, one of them mistakes one of the men for like an old friend. And they, they like bring them into the house and they have to try and hide the fact that they've got the fly. And then there's also um, in the scene, there's, um, I believe her name is Adele Exopelagus. Exopelagus or whatever. Um, the, the woman from Blue is the Warmest Color, the one that not Leia Sadu, the other uh, one. Yeah. So yeah, she plays this character who um, I believe after a hit of her head or she has some sort of uh, brain damage. Um, and there's this, I, I don't know, I think it's kind of a 
I don't know if it's offensive or not, but like the, the sort of joke around this character is because she's got some sort of brain damage to her, um, she can't control her volume, so everything she says she shouts. And she gets she's the one who's very skeptical and think there's something weird going on with these two guys and is basically like watching them like a hawk for the entire time. And like, you know, they're they're trying to hide the fact that they've got a big fly. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a bunch of weird nonsense that all kind of happens all at once. It's typical sort of Quentin De Pierre stuff. Um, I was actually not a big fan of his last film, Deerskin. I actually kind of really disliked that film. That was the film with uh, Jean Desjardins and um, Adele Hanel. That was about a man who had a jacket that became obsessed with the jacket and um, starts basically making snuff films and killing people and also thinking that no one else in the world should have a jacket and killing all other people with jackets. It's just... It's, it's an idea for a short film that was somehow, like, 80 minutes long. Okay. And um, it, it wasn't that great. But, like, I, I've really enjoyed a lot of his other films. I think Rubber, which is a film about a tie that kills people, is just bizarre and a lot of fun. Um, his film, uh, Or Post, or Keep an Eye Out, I think is a really, really great little weird sort of parody of a police procedural that is just so weird and so wacky and i love the hell out of it um and this this is definitely a, like although a lot of people really love deer skin i'm kind of in the minority on that um i think this is a return to form for de Pierre. it's just the kind of weirdness and just sort of strange comedy that i go to his films <laughs> for and it's a lot of fun definitely recommend mandibles yeah i'm um i'm seeing mandibles on sunday night so i'm um i am um... I'm very excited for for that. I uh, I haven't seen any of his other films, so this will be my first first of his. So <laughs> should be yeah. interesting. Uh, I'd be interested to see what you think of uh, De Pierre's work. He's yeah. definitely an interesting. He's definitely an interesting character, and actually p- gets films out pretty regularly as well. Yeah, like this was only years. about a year after Deerskin too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, very excited for that. Uh, I should also, I, I also forgot to mention with Final Set, um, I have a review for that on Movie Babble, which is uh, to be edited by our overlord, Nick Cush, who will hopefully yes. read it and publish it very soon. Uh, shout out to Nick if you're listening, and uh, that'll be up on moviebabble.com, uh, hopefully within the coming days. But um, before that, uh, Blake's God's review of Godzilla v. Kong, if you want to hear yes. more thoughts on him, that will also be up very soon. Yes. Once he finishes it, once we finish, <laughs> once we hit end on this record <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, then he's, he's got, got work early tomorrow. <laughs> and then, uh, yes, I think it might be a, a bit of a later start tomorrow, but that's fine. <laughs> it's okay. Um, well, yeah. we also just want to spotlight a, a film that came out a, a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, which um, I initially planned to do a pod about with Eric about this film because he saw it at one of the online festivals quite a while back. Um, it's Roy Anderson's final film about endlessness. It came out in Australian cinemas in a very, very limited release through Sharmil Films. I believe at the beginning of March, um, I saw it at a press screening about nearly two months ago now. Um, Blake saw it all the way back at Biff in October, which October, is British yes. British International Film Festival. Um, we both love this film. Uh, Blake, why? What? 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 What was it about about Endlessness that sort of just swept you away? Yeah, um, I mean, super quick. Uh, Biff is the Brisbane International Film Festival. Oh, what did British, I say? Oh God, British. sorry. Oh. <laughs> It's too I mean, late it's to be same, doing this, my same, God. Same, same acronym, but that's fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I saw that, um, yeah, way back in October of um, 2020, which, mm. um, 
yeah, our cinemas were even open then, which is very lucky. Um, and yeah, it was my, no, I was going to say it was my first Roy Anderson film, but that's a lie because I saw, um, pigeons sat on a branch reflecting on existence, I think is the full title sometime, um, a few years ago. And, and I just really enjoyed the sort of, uh, um, style that that anderson shoots in and and the way he goes about telling his um his stories which is usually and in this case um with a bad endlessness in a just a series of vignettes essentially so Um, is is pigeon is pigeon on a branch like this film uh yeah i i think they're they're pretty similar um from from memory i haven't seen pigeon on a branch for quite some time i think i saw it in like 2015 or 2016 um just randomly uh and and kind of forgot about it so when (laughs) when about endlessness um was listed for biff i kind of jumped on that opportunity to see an anderson film on the on the big screen and yeah i just i just really really liked it um it now it has been quite a while since i've seen it but um it just something about it just felt very sincere oh definitely you know across all the vignettes and and um the some of them are charming some of them are pretty bleak bleak (laughs) um some of them are really hopeful and really really moving and just like uh, like uh some of these vignettes like there's the ones with like um like an army that's surrendered and they're like yeah. marching basically not to their graves but like to their to a prison essentially and that's pretty bleak and like and we should say that like every single vignette is like sort of not necessarily framed but like at various points at some point within that vignette there'll be a narration from a woman that says i saw a man or i saw a person i saw a woman yeah. blah, da, 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 doing doing blank. something yeah yeah doing blank and yeah, they range from, it's basically, this film is just sort of like this weird and wonderful tapestry about the absurdity of life and sort of yeah. the beauty and just sort of everything about like life. I mean, I know that's super, super vague, but it's a film about the beauty of being alive and sort of the, in some cases, the mundane absurdity of life. Yeah. And, um, and the sort of reality of, of where life ends up towards Mm. the end and um yeah there's there's there was so much to love about this film yeah just like Um, some of some of my favorite vignettes and like a lot of the ones which are really touching like there's this one where i believe it's i saw a i saw a man taking his young daughter to a birthday party Mm. like it's just it's so simple but and so effective yet so moving so basically, like they're walking through the mud and in the rain, and like the like the, the, yeah, they're on their way to a birthday party. The girl's got a little present, and the the, the father stops to just basically just stop tie to tie her shoes up, yeah. and it's just it's so sweet, I and know. it just gets to you. And like I'm tearing up just saying that now. Yeah. It's ridiculous, but like Roy Anderson, it's it's not empathy, I wouldn't say, but it's just like he has a grasp on just like the little things in life that. Um, the, the, the little things that make life worth living, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that that going off that, it kind of um, and and I think one of the standout uh vignettes for 
sort of a lot of people that saw it um, or that have seen it was the uh, and I and I can't remember what the um, sort of title, if you will, for it mm. was, but um, it's the the one where the group of um, sort of teenagers are just walking along and, and uh, sort yes. of dancing out the front of uh, the, that's uh, brilliant a little little, <laughs> like a little restaurant cafe or something, or something cafe yeah. on the corner of the uh. road, um, and the they're the the few sort of older 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 people sitting there and they're just watching these young kids have the time of their lives oh it's just so good the street it's so good and i like i love how like because it's all very like you're talking about the way this for this film is shot and like how roy yeah. anderson shoot things it's very stationary like the camera doesn't move no. at all and like i didn't i didn't even think cameras had like this sort of depth of field because like how he uses depth of field like is incredible yeah. it's like I mean, it's 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 a cliche, but like almost every single frame is like an incredibly, incredibly detailed painting where there's just yeah. so much. It's so intricate. You can see there is just so much going on within each frame. It's just yeah. like it's a film that you kind of have to go back and see multiple times just to oh, yeah. not like find like hidden things, but just to fully soak in everything soak in. that's happening. Yeah. Um. And I I actually uh, another. Another one that stands out to me, just in terms of um, what what Anderson does with the frame, is the vignette of the guy just walking up the stairs with his uh, yes. groceries. And I believe that was the the first one of the film, or something. Yeah, is that um, the same one with the he passes an old friend and he doesn't say anything? Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and they th there's a couple that they keep cutting back to. They keep cutting back to him, yeah, and they keep cutting back to the. The, the priest that's losing his faith. Yeah. Uh, which is, which again, like the whole thing with the priest, like when he's giving the communion as well, mm -hmm. and like, you know, he's questioning his own faith. It's like, it's both very, very like sort of dryly comic because that's very much a, the Scandinavian sort of sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. But it's also got this sort of like, you know, like this really deep sadness to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of the, the film has that sort of underlying sadness i wouldn't say all of it does but yeah there's there was there were definitely moments where um some of it you know ha something happens and I, I was i was right up the back of the cinema with uh one other it's like older dude who was sitting <laughs> however many seats to my left and we're the only two uh people in the cinema laughing every so often <laughs> um but yeah some of them like you would laugh and then sort of have a realization and go oh <laughs> that's actually quite sad yeah um but yeah i just i just loved it um and i'm i can't wait to to revisit it and hopefully go back and watch the rest of roy anderson's filmography yeah and he, and this is i think he has said it's his final film and like i think yeah, he's, I think so. and he has a, like he, he basically makes like a film every 10-ish years or something because his first film was made like back in the 70s and he's only made like nine feature films since then so yeah not many yeah, so if you and and this is I think is it the shortest of all his films because this is only like seventy four so. minutes. Yeah. yeah, it's not long it, at all. It even feels so much shorter than that because yeah, you just get you just get so high. enveloped into like every single little vignette in the film that kind of when it does finish you're like oh that's it yeah oh I yeah yeah but it's I, I love this film yeah me too it's great. <laughs> And I, I hope now that this... I don't know how successful this film has been because it has a very, very limited release. And as I say that, I know we're, sat, we're reviewing this like almost three weeks uh, since it came out and uh, it may not be playing in a lot of places. But uh, 
if you, I, I believe it is still for Melbourne listeners, especially, uh, it was a Nova exclusive release, and I think it is still playing there. And I think, I think in Brisbane, I think it was playing at the Dendi Cooperu. I believe. Yeah, I think it was. I don't. I don't know if it still is. Um, I would. I would have to check. But yeah, but it, it, uh, to see if this film is still playing, um, yeah, head to Sharmil Films' uh, website, which will have all of the like cinema locations there, or just keep an eye at it whenever it comes out on like uh, VOD, digital platforms, all that sort of stuff. And hopefully, um, the documentary about the making of this film, which I believe is called um, "Being a Human Person," uh, that will also come out soon. Hopefully. And I'm yeah. very keen to check that out because I'm just so fascinated as to not only in Roy Anderson as a filmmaker, but also the process of creating this film is just going to be fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Definitely worth checking out. Yeah. And one other Sharmil release that I got very, uh, that I had the chance to go check out was um, The Father, which is uh, the best picture nominee, The Father, which is uh, getting an Australian release from April 1st. But I believe there are advanced screenings going on around the country uh, this weekend, I believe, before it's uh, yes. initial release next week. Yeah, um, I'm going to be seeing it on Saturday night, which I'm yeah. very excited for. Yes. Now, is this the only Best Picture nom you haven't seen yet? Because I know for a lot of people it is. Uh, it is. No, I still have to watch The Father and Mank. Oh, you haven't seen Mank yet? No, I still have not oh, seen Oh, wow. Mank. I'm um I'm quite hopeless when it comes to the <laughs> um direct to streaming. They're the ones I fall behind on. Yeah, you, it's odd when that happens. No, I'm the same way. Like I still haven't even trial of the shit trial of the. I almost said the shit cargo seven, <laughs> but but um that 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 might from what I've heard about the movie that might be um uh, an apt description of it actually uh, from I what liked, I keep hearing. I I liked um Charles Chicago Seven quite a bit. Uh well I, I've already seen the I've already seen Mangrove and it looks like it's basically the same film but better so uh, you know. I can't I haven't seen any of um any the of small acts. Oh get onto it. I I'll get I'd say get, yeah get onto it um if you can somehow watch it without um binge or Foxtel's shitty compression yeah. um. <laughs> Definitely do that. Yes. Um, but I, the uh, father. Yeah. Yeah, but the father is what we're talking about here. As we said, uh, best picture yep. nominated. I believe it got uh, five other nominations at the Oscars, which was uh, best actor for Anthony Hopkins. Olivia Coleman won best supporting. Uh, it also got adapted screenplay, editing, and production design. I believe. Yep. So it's adapted from the play by uh, Florian Zell Zellner or Zeller. Um, it's also but he he was also, he who adapted his own play. Uh, he directs this film. I believe it's his first ever film. He's a French playwright. Uh, basic premise of this film is that Anthony Hopkins is uh, an, old, an old man. I believe he's 81 or something. His character's name is Anthony, so I bet that made things a lot easier on set. He's um, I, he's either got dementia or Alzheimer's, and um, it, it's hard to talk about the plot with this sort of film because it kind of changes and is sort of presented in a very strange way, which was kind of a big surprise for me, but I'll get into that in just a moment. So Olivia Coleman plays his daughter, um, he, but she's basically told him that like she can't take care of him any longer. Like, cause she's living, he's living in their flat, and he can't really like you know they her and her husband Rufus Sewell are just kind of they've had enough of it. Um, they try to bring in Imogen Poots to be like his carer. Uh, he's not really taking too kindly to that. And there's basically discussions about putting him in a home, and because like they're moving off to Paris, uh, Coleman and Sewell are both moving off to Paris, so they need to try to figure out what the hell to do with the dad and the dad's sort of having a strange sort of existential psychological breakdown as he deals with his own dementia and everything that's happening around him. And I'll be honest, 
I kind of went into this film. Expectations are a funny thing, especially when going into a film like this. And uh, not since Jackie, um, Pablo Lorraine's film from 2016 with uh, Natalie Portman as Jackie Kennedy. Um, never have I, not since that film, have I been so blown away by a film I had previously just disregarded as sort of like blatant Oscar bait. Because, you know, you see the advertising for this film. Actually, maybe not the advertising because I never saw the trailer. And according to you, a lot of the sort of aspects of the film, which I had no awareness of, are actually in the trailer. But like yeah. hearing that it's like, oh, it's us, it's, you know, adapted from a play. It's got big name actors, Anthony Hopkins, Olivia Coleman. You know, they're going to, as Marco Mode would say, they're going to be on an overdose of acting pills. The, 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 <laughs> the, um, the, the staging, because it's adapted from a play, it's going to be very stagey. There isn't going to be that great a camera work. They're not really going to change it that much to suit the medium of film. It's going to be, you know, kind of, it's going to be fine, but, you know, ultimately kind of unremarkable, but yep. with, with some good acting. Like, that was my expectations coming into this, and I was blown away by it. Um, and again, I don't know, like, similar with, similarly with Godzilla v. Kong, I don't know how much I can explain about this film without sort of giving away certain aspects and sort of, like, revelations in this film, but I will say that this film, it's strange that like I that this is adapted from a play because this whole story and the way this sort of unfolds is so inherently cinematic to me. Like especially because film film itself is always like it's a brilliant tool for like you know it's all very intrinsically linked with memory and like sort of not necessarily passage of time but like manipulation of time and that's something that this film does in order to sort of represent like the sort of fractured mind of someone living with dementia or Alzheimer's. I don't think they actually specify which one it is in the film, but it's one of the two. And sort of like in terms of Anthony Hopkins, his performance, which is just brilliant, by the way, like he absolutely deserves to be up in the, up in the race for best actor. He is just absolutely superb. Like talk about empathy. This man just is an empathy machine in this film. Um, he like just the sort of anxiety and the fear and the anger, the confusion, like everything that comes with like living with this, like living with dementia is just like heightened. And it's presented in a way that feels like very sort of surreal, but not in a way that's sort of showy or like, you know, kind of exploitative. Like you kind of get yeah, what I'm like, saying? Like it's yeah. not to like sort of, oh, look what we're doing. We're making artistic statements. Like, this yeah. is we're being like really it's not flashy or anything in presenting it it's just it has these sort of surreal elements but it's not like you know like trying to show you how much you know that it's showing you i know that's a bad way to describe it but that that kind of makes sense yeah it, it um it kind of from from what i've heard um from people that have seen it and from the little that that um from the little filmmaking techniques that they use that are sort of teased in the trailer um, that I saw for it. It seems like all of that uh, cinematic, you know, all, the, all those techniques and, and the way they go about telling the story is from, from what I'm expecting is purely to service the story and sort of get across those emotions and stuff instead of doing it for a, oh, look at what we're doing. Mm. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. And it's in, it's even to the point where I think the adaptation, I mean, I have not seen the original stage production, but um, I, it, it makes me absolutely fascinated as to how this, like, as to how this film works, like how the hell this film would actually work on stage. And yeah. I want to see how it would, because I would just be absolutely fascinated by it. 
yeah it uh i i'm very excited to to go see it um i was i was meant to see it last week but unfortunately couldn't make it so i'm glad they're having a few more screenings over the weekend um for me to catch it uh a little bit early um but yeah every everything i've heard about this film has been has been great um so my expectations have been heightened <laughs> <laughs> well I, I don't want you to expect a masterpiece but it's a uh, it's pr it's pretty close um it, it's a uh, yeah as i said i was blown away by this film wasn't expecting it to be as amazing as it was and like it's really really moving like yeah. as you'd imagine for a story like this like it gets yeah. really moving and yeah. kind of heartbreaking towards the end and if, if you need a good cry just definitely see this film uh yeah. it's the father as we said advanced screenings this weekend uh released through sharmil films um but gets a wide uh i'm not not, not not necessarily sure if it's a wide release it might be getting a bigger release than usual now that it's been nominated for best yeah. picture at the oscars um but yeah so keep a look out for it when it comes out nationally on april 1st and yep. and yes as i know a lot of people have been making jokes on twitter and the fact that it's being released on april 1st as well the movie is real guys <laughs> i didn't imagine this okay shut up twitter this movie exists <laughs> and it's pretty damn good yep very excited i'm glad you're excited for it um we're just about done but blake you recently saw uh, a film on vod that uh that hasn't really been that i haven't really seen too much discussion about so i thought we'd end with this one uh save yourself tell us a little bit about this film yeah um save yourselves i had never heard of it um it's directed by eleanor wilson and alex huston fisher or houston fisher not too sure um how to pronounce that um, but it came out in 2020 and I'm not sure if it was a director VOD film. It kind of feels like that. Um, it's, it's very small. It only really has two, um, two actors in it. That being, um, Sunita Marnie and John Reynolds, who I had never heard of before. Um, but essentially they, I, w I was, how I stumbled across this firstly was I was just sitting at home bored scrolling through iTunes um, and for some reason it was sort of up the list on the front page. Uh, and new I and just, noteworthy? Yeah, I think it might've been under new or noteworthy. Um, and I sort of just didn't even watch the trailer. I just pressed rent and, and off I went. Um, and yeah, essentially what it is, is a, a story about this couple who are very um, much like today's society just constantly glued to their screens whether that be their phone their computer their tv um and you know in the but they're listening to another bloody movie podcast so you know yeah we like them. exactly we like them yeah um, which is that's cool <laughs> um but yeah so the 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 main premise really is that they decide to take a take a break from their devices and cut off from from the world for for a weekend and try and re reconnect with each other um sort of emotionally and they go off to this cabin um and while they're there there has been a bit of a um apocalyptic event oh they're not aware of <laughs> at all um until they turn their phones back on and realize they have hundreds of missed calls from people they love um trying to contact them and figure out where they are oh wow um, this <laughs> yeah it's a it's like a sci-fi rom-com tiny film 
it's hilarious. Like I was, I found it really funny. Um, John Reynolds is just a cracker. Like everything he did in this movie, I found hilarious. <laughs> and I don't know if that was just purely because of like his his mannerisms or or if it's the script or, or the script. he's just got and good I, comic I think time. it is. I think it is um, definitely partly to do with the script because the way they sort of write the characters is is yeah just really entertaining to to see how they've um kind of struggled for a bit after disconnecting from their devices and uh how they yeah just just go about um handling the the situation they eventually find themselves in and yeah it's 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 fun it's laid back um it's you know nothing crazy um and it's also a, a pretty great sort of satire on the social behaviors of you know today's day and age with everyone constantly on their phones and stuff um but yeah i, I thought it was really good and and thought it'd be cool to kind of give it a bit of a shout out if you're looking for something to watch it's it's worth checking out I right think. so you you watched it on itunes you said but do you know if it's available yeah. on any other vod platform um i don't believe at least in australia i don't believe it is streaming anywhere um but i'm pretty certain that it's on google play um and amazon video okay well. no I'll, I'll definitely check that out I'll, I'll i'll put it on the abmp company credit card and definitely check that out um two yeah. things i wanted to uh, mention about that one this kind of just sounds like they made a comedy out of jared leto returning from like his cult camp like when after COVID happened, then he's yeah. just like, I've been gone for two weeks. What did I miss? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. It is kind of that uh, that sort of yeah. scenario. Yeah. But two with like a lot of the like with this pre- premise, like my sort of reservation about this premise is that like this film could very well be extremely dated in like a couple of years time. But like, does it have this? I'm just wondering like how the film sort of addresses like you know it's sort of you know it's a film for the now, I guess. But like you know, yeah. if it's gonna be, um, I don't know. If it's gonna I, have I any shelf think, life. Yeah, I don't think there's too much that that kind of limits it to to the now. Um, but it, I yeah, it there's definitely a chance of that sort of happening to it somewhere down the line. But um, yeah, I I do hope it kind of finds a an audience. I know um, Harris, who we mentioned earlier, he saw it and he he also liked it quite a bit. So. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it's just a really interesting, weird mm. little movie that I loved. Cool. Well, yeah. ma- maybe now with uh, your help, this film will sort of get like the, uh, the post sort of the post like VOD hype and cult status that like the Empty Man, the Empty Man has yeah. uh, sort of uh, grasped. I've, I got the DVD of the Empty Man as part yeah. of JB Hi-Fi's buy two, get one free sale. So, um. I will jo- be joining the Church of the Empty Man uh, probably soon, depending on what I feel, what, depending on how I feel about it. Yeah, I really liked the Empty Man. I'm a big fan. <laughs> uh, that just about does us, um, because it's almost eleven o'clock here, and uh, we got to go to. Well, I got to edit edit this, and Blake has to finish his review. So, uh, yes. we better jump off now. So, thank you again for Blake Ison for joining me. Uh, where can people find you online? Find your film writings, just and all of your general movie musings where can they go yeah well um i guess firstly mostly everything i do goes to twitter which is just at blake underscore ison i-s-o-n um and then yeah i post 
my sort of quick movie thoughts to movie uh to letterbox sorry which is um linked to my to my twitter account and then uh yeah some of my bigger reviews um go off to movie babble as well um so just moviebabble.com and you can find um my writings on there as well as sean's and quite a few others so yeah indeed look out for his review of uh, godzilla v kong hopefully yes. it will be up by the time this goes out to the world and uh, also uh he has a review for the film crisis which although it does star army hammer is not about army hammer's current uh life crisis. situation right yes. now <laughs> so go check that out on movie babble when you can and also check out my stuff over on moviebabble.com as i said uh, a review for final set will be up Hopefully, within the next couple of days, hopefully it's up by the time you hear this. It probably won't be. So, Nick, get your ass onto that. Um, <laughs> um, I'll also have a review for the new film Nobody, which is a Bob Odenkirk's John Wicky sort of action film. Uh, the embargo's up on that. We we're going to talk about it, but we're just, you know, we're running out of time, and I'm going to write a written review for it. And anyway, I'll just say it's a lot of fun. So look out for my review of that, hopefully also coming up to Movie Battle within the next few days uh, you can also follow me on twitter and instagram both at sean hub underscore that is s-e-a-n-h-u-b underscore and you can also follow me on letterbox that um, that is letterbox.com forward slash sean coats and if you like the podcast if you're if you're if you're joining the podcast because you're a big fan of blake's and uh you know you you, you wanted to hear his smooth sultry voice on this podcast and you're like hey this other guy hosting he's all right i want to listen to more of this well dear listener you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts we're on apple Podcasts, we're on spotify we're on soundcloud basically wherever good podcasts and bad podcasts are found we're there just search for another bloody movie podcast and hit that subscribe button our socials i pug them every time they're always they're very very inactive but if people go and follow them They'll be more active. So you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at AB Movie Podcast and our Instagram at Another Bloody Movie Pod. And that's about it. Stay tuned uh, in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, there'll be more episodes up. I'm going to have, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to have Hudson Sawada back on the show to talk about the new installment of the second installment of Fantastic Film Fest Australia, um, which is going to be happening in Melbourne and Sydney at the Lido and Ritz Cinemas from April 16th. Make sure you get around that and book your tickets. That's going to be a really fun festival. And I can't wait to chat to Hudson about the awesome, awesome program he's put on this year. But thanks again to Blake Eisen for joining me. Thanks for having me. No, it's always a pleasure. Welcome back anytime. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, make, make sure you like, subscribe, do all that sort of stuff. But until next time, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you.